Hey guys, it's Tuesday the 23rd of June. Welcome to a new episode of the Football Ramble. I'm Kate Mason. Hi, I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Jim Campbell with The Traffic. travel news Jim I have not no I don't think I'd be very good at it I don't think I, I mean I don't think these things necessarily would would relate but I failed my driving test because I mounted a curb that a lady in a mobility scooter was coming down so <laughs> I don't think I should be anywhere near any form of traffic even if I'm just describing it to be honest well you, so, do, you do a lot of walking anyway don't you well, so, so what would your travel news <laughs> be uh, there's, there's a there's a lovely light breeze yeah. a lot of dogs out today um, yeah yeah, stay safe, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> so sorry to go back to that. You just you nearly killed a, a well, lady. She was fine. Um, I wasn't near enough her to it, for it actually to be a problem. But my driving instructor, or the, you know the lady doing the test, she she did consider that to be a problem. So yeah, yeah. No, I think that's fair enough. I wouldn't it's call myself Draconian ruling. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't call myself a driving connoisseur, but even I yeah. might have thought the same. Now look. Um, Lots of European football to get through. Lots of things to talk about in the Premier League because after long last, match week, the, the week affectionately known as Match Week 30 mm. has come to a close. Um, what that means partly is that, so for the first 12 games after the restart of the Premier League, we were seeing things like um, minute silence for those people who lost their lives due to coronavirus and also Black Lives Matter on the back of players' shirts, which has been... To be honest, a really beautiful show of solidarity for lots of people mm. uh, during this really difficult time. Um, so the final game of that was Manchester City against Burnley. And unfortunately, I suppose that leads us on to something that happened last night um, with a plane. Uh, and we've just been talking about it before uh, coming on air here. And I know you guys had some pretty strong views about it. Um, but it does seem to have been scheduled for a moment after the final um, tribute to the Black Lives Matter movement, Jim. Yeah, it's really, really insidious. The timing of it is absolutely awful um, and it needs to be just sort of condemned as much as possible. Um, and I think one of the frustrating things about it is the reaction afterwards as well. You see Raheem Sterling's post on on, on Twitter and a lot of the posts, um, you know, that, that Bernie themselves have made. You've had so many bad faith questions underneath it from people going, well, why don't white lives matter? What, what's wrong about that? And I think at this point, it's been explained so much why Black Lives Matter isn't an either-or thing, and it doesn't mean that Black Lives Matter more than than anyone else. That if you're still asking that question, you're just you are being deliberately obtuse, and I, there's simply no excuse to not understand this at this point. And if you, if you don't understand it, educate yourself on it, read up on it. It's, it's a very very simple thing, and and it's so frustrating. We're at a point where. You know, Ben Mee was fantastic after afterwards, and I think we'll come on to that. And Michael Richards was was very articulate, and very very good uh, in the in the punditry in the post match. And he said on TV in 2020, it's becoming a race war. And it's you know you hear things like I can't believe this is happening in 2020 all the time, but we got to take a look at this idea like 2020 is not as civilized as we think it is. The the, the current society is not as civilized as we think of it, and we we have to. We have to decry this as much as possible. Like and you assume progress is a given. Absolutely. But, but I think the world over the last couple of years generally has, has, has made us reassess that. Absolutely. And, and we can't say football separate from that. We can't say football separate from society. And I think we've seen 
back when we did have fans, some of the behaviour in grounds over the mm. last year or so, and is something like everyone here on the Ramblers has, has discussed, has, has been a little bit worrying, yeah. uh, to, to be perfectly honest. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think you can say that people are in any way unaware of how uh, hurtful or how confrontational um, this sort of behaviour is. And it's it's just, I think, obviously, we know what the, the, the main strand is is here, but I think we have to have a word for, for Burnley as a club as well because Ben Mee did, did come out and, and, and talk about this um, very firmly and very articulately in in the way that um the leader of a club should but you know let's be honest people have a certain image of burnley as a club and most most definitely as as a town and you could you could see that with the way ben mee was a little bit despairing actually mm-hmm. in the, in the, in the way that he was he was talking because i know that burnley of has, has had its issues and Burnley as a club have, have done a lot to combat that, you know, not just in this last little while, but for several years now, Burnley have, have made an effort to be, um, to connect with the community, to be more inclusive, to be conciliatory. And then something like this happens. And, you know, it's, it's, it's tough because Ben Mee was obviously absolutely aghast at the way that projected Burnley. And, you know, it wasn't just on Sky last night. It was on Pick. Loads of people who haven't got a subscription will have will have seen that. And it's it's not just a big football story. It's a big news story. And it, yeah. it doesn't cast Burnley in a particularly good light. But on the flip side of that, Andy, you could say, so we talked about it the last time I was on the Ramble on Wednesday and... You know, we were talking about how, uh, for example, when there were those kind of, I don't know what you call them, counter protests, but that seems wrong to talk about it. But, you know, people in London mm. and that, that gentleman who uh, who peed on the, the um, uh, memorial to the police yeah. officer who died. And I was saying, well, look, it's not fair to say that these guys... Um, represent football fans but the problem is they are they football are football fans. fans yeah but in this instance i would i want to put a more positive light on it if that's at all possible just because you know we have had these 12 games where we've seen this incredible show of solidarity from footballers from coaches from all these people and the first time they everyone took a knee it was kind of um as Kelly Cates was saying, it was breathtaking. Yeah. You know, you didn't mm. expect that to happen in that Aston Villa Sheffield United game. So it just seems a shame, as as Jim is saying, that that this has been slightly hijacked by by the mm. act of a of a minority. Hijacked is right as well because the guy who is who's claimed responsibility for this. I mean, there, there are pictures of him doing the rounds with Tommy Robinson, and it very much looks like this is a calculated attempt to both hijack and weaponise football and use it to push the sort of the agenda of, of some quite unpleasant right-wing people. And it's it's so frustrating. I think just, you know, as not just as football fans, but as, you know, as, as forward-thinking people, we need to just not let this win, you know, not, not mm. let this cause the damage it's openly trying to cause by doing such an awful, awful thing at such a, a, a you know, particular time. And I think... But football's been through... The, sorry, Jim, but football's right. been through this before hasn't it? When you, you think of the 80s and the National Front recruiting outside Stamford Bridge and mm. stuff like that, and it and it has got through it. But it just goes to show that, you know, I think sometimes you can look at football and think, oh, football's quite full of itself, isn't it? Thinking it can cure all of society's yes. ills and stuff like that. But actually, 
this is a situation. Football can make a difference mm. in terms of football supporters. And Burnley came out with a really strong statement as well, didn't they? Saying when they identify those people, they'll no longer be welcome at Turf Moor. Mm. They'll be banned from Turf Moor for life. And I think what was so powerful in Ben Mee coming out and, and speaking about this in completely unambiguous terms is sometimes you do get the impression that not especially in England, I would say more so in, in other countries like Italy where there are, there's, a, there's a stronger ultra culture and maybe people live in fear of certain fan groups mm. a, a little bit more, but you have players, you know, not wanting to dig out their own fans basically, don't you? But here, Ben Mee's just said, no, unacceptable. We're not having it. It's not part of our club. And it's a really great opportunity, I think, for football to say what is acceptable and what is not acceptable in, in, in football. And, you know, that's been something that has been a real work in progress, I feel, for like, maybe the last two years. It's been something that football's needed to come back on quite strongly. And football mm. is coming back on it strongly at the moment, not just paying lip service. But you think of the Black Lives Matter on the shirts in the first place. That was player-led. Yeah. And I think that's really, really important point mm-hmm. to, to make. And it feels like a lot of this now, a lot of the reaction to this unacceptable behaviour is player-led. And that can only be a good thing because especially, I think, young people, I think, will will react to what the players are saying. And that's that's really important yes. in, in, in taking it forward. I mean, I was um, driving through London with my family recently on the day when you, you were talking about the um, one of the Black Lives Matter protests and um, some, in inverted commas, counter-protesters coming out. And, you know, as, as well as seeing more police than I'd ever seen in my life and um, Waterloo Bridge being blocked by police vans and all, all the rest of it and loads of riot gear clad police on foot, is that there were groups of young black men and young white men chasing each other around and when you saw these groups of young white men looking for trouble and looking for fight, it's, mm. it's that they were young. They 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 weren't all like you know, fifty something lunatics. Maybe that sort of you know idea that we have of what a racist is is yes. like. That's what I found like really concerning and really dispiriting. Football does have this avenue to connect with with young people, and I, I feel that it is doing that at the moment and especially when football is so present in their lives because there's so much of it because there's so much of it free on the television and because this is a news story as well and it connects with that it's, it's a great opportunity for football and in the Premier League it's doing a great job at the moment yeah I think you're absolutely right. I think it's impossible to watch football and, and know football and not see what black players have had to put up with and, and what they go through all the time. So yeah. I think a, a lot of these people, they are being radicalised, unfortunately. And, and you're right, if, if, if football itself can circle the wagons in, a, in an unprecedented way by being so vocal and by being so clear about this, it, can, it will hopefully um, do something to stem that tide. Speaking of young people, I like how that really uh, kind of dates us. But, you know, I think they're probably more on TikTok. But, you know, if, I feel as though they, they knew about all this stuff far beyond uh, people of, question mark, our generation, Andy. Um, let's... I feel honoured that you put us in the same generation. <laughs> but please, carry on. Um, let's talk about uh, the football a little yeah. bit, if we can. Um, to be honest, I felt a bit sorry for Burnley before the game. Um, so... 
Yeah, afterwards, certainly, uh, because they were the last Premier League team to play again after the shutdown. And they came, they were on a seven game unbeaten run before before football was stopped. Um, and then they were up against this Man City team that probably you could say more than any has seemed to just has seemed to slip yeah. back into it because we've seen some dreadful football since it started again. But um, City have looked you know, all right. They haven't had any proper opposition, Jim, obviously. But, um, <laughs> but and also, you know, uh, Sean Dyche wasn't able to name, or he said he wasn't able to name a, f- a full bench. You know, you've got nine substitutes. He only had seven. So, yeah, things didn't look great going into this one. Um, and when you see the quality of some of the players that were on the bench for yeah. City. They just looked up to speed at this point, didn't they? As you say, they had a sort of warm-up game against Arsenal, which went exactly as you might expect. But the um, it was just it's the pace of City. They 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 seem to they flew out of the blocks against Arsenal and they, they tired a bit, but they seem to pick up the pace again. So I think more than anyone, they their fitness seems to be exactly as you'd expect from a team like at, at this point in a regular season almost. Yeah, they, they unlike Burnley, who were yeah. just. Just, just yeah, all, all over the place. Like, and as you, I, I imagine, you know, that that it must be difficult for them to have to wait this long to to sort of, you know, get back into it when everything's happening, especially with a the sort of demoralising blow before the game uh, that we just discussed. But City were fantastic, and like it was just a nice little reminder of the qualities of Phil Foden as well. Because yeah. one of the, you see some criticism of him sometimes. It's like, I don't really. What does he do? What is it that really does? And the answer to that is he does all the simple stuff really well. So he appears to be in the right place at the right time and at really, speed really often mm. at speed absolutely as you said and to fit into that city front line you you need pace as well i mean even the the man who makes it all tick normally kevin de bruyne i think what made him adapt to the premier league so quickly in the first place is a playmaker that's super fast mm. and that's why he scored so many goals early on because he could sort of charge past the, the the front player come into the the box and and score goals and the premier league has always really suited him mm. in, in that way but it's, it's interesting talking of the i guess germany england pipeline um it's interesting isn't it when we go back probably only about six seven months before foden signed his last deal and people were saying well maybe he's gonna do a sancho and go out to yeah. the to, to the bundesliga what i was thinking there is obviously Jaden Sancho made his decision to move to Borussia Dortmund and it, it worked out brilliant for, brilliant, brilliantly for him. But Foden is in that same zone where he's, he's had to really bide his time and, mm. you know, unsurprisingly so given the sort of competition. I'm not thinking what would have happened for Foden if he'd have gone out, for Dortmund, gone out to Dortmund. What would have happened for Jaden Sancho if he'd have hung on? I mean, I, I know it's just theoretical now, but it's it's an interesting point, isn't mm-hmm. it? Like, how long do you reckon it would have taken Sancho to... Would he still be at that point? Would it have taken him a year and a half, two years to start getting regular games? I mean, with Foden, you can see like a succession plan now because yeah. David Silva's going to be on his way at, at, at the end of the season and he's going to play more and more Foden as, as, as time goes by. But it's interesting thinking about it, isn't it? Yeah. Particularly and- with the injury to Leroy Sané. You think he mm. might actually have got some time that he wouldn't otherwise have expected yeah, maybe, yeah. to get. Yeah, and I mean, Pep Guardiola talking about that succession planning now, you know, he's always said in the past what a wonderful player Phil Foden is, but, you know, unfortunately he has a manager who doesn't play him. Um, But last night he was saying that, um, you know, this is a player who's going to be important in the next decade in the club. And, I mean, of course he scored those two goals, but what about uh, the setup, if you like, for the fourth goal, the little no-look pass to Bernardo Silva? beautiful. 
yeah. it's amazing. But the, like the speed, the balance, all of it. He fits as one of those. You know how Barcelona have their, their little guys yes. who do all the stuff. City have got their little guys yeah. who do all the stuff. Can I ask anyone else? Has anyone else got the theme tune to Succession playing through their head on this loop at the moment? It yes, just won't I do. leave my... Yeah, thank you. Because as a, it's a fantastic TV show, but they really do overuse their own theme tune in it. I think that's why it's just constantly in it. Yeah, well, well, Pusha T did that rap, didn't he, with like over the succession theme tune as well. Has Luke told you to do this sort of popular culture reference (laughs) to make me feel incredibly out of touch? Is this retaliation because I said you were in a slightly different generation? (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Foden Foden does it. Does feel like he's being groomed for this sort of succession thing, though, doesn't it? For David Silver, he He said it though. Pep Guardiola. We're not just inferring. He said it. Mm. He said it last night. uh, you know, David Silver is leaving. Some someone on Sky asked what happens now, and he said it's good because we don't have to s- spend lots of pounds on a new yeah. person. <laughs> so that, that love, is good, I, I guess. A, yes. I love a Pep Guardiola post-match when they've won handsomely. Oh. He goes off into this mad reverie, like yeah. half of his consciousness is in another dimension. He's just going, <laughs> oh, I love it, I love it. Well, City's football can make you a little bit like that, can't can't it? But did he actually say we don't have to spend lots of pounds? Pounds, I'm pretty sure it's pounds. Because that makes me think of him and Soriano and every everyone sort of <laughs> around, the, around the table in a social club <laughs> emptying their little money bags and like pushing pound yeah. coins towards the centre yeah, a bucket collection at the end of the games Off to which the I'm bingo. sure is how it works at City <laughs> oh my god oh, what? like in a church is that what you're talking yeah. about? <laughs> I really like that image. Um, I suppose quick word on Burnley. They seem to be having a few issues about managing to get players to hang on and stay, uh, you know, past June the 30th. They, as we've mentioned, didn't have any substitutes. They seem to be in a pretty difficult time. I mean, they're letting Joe Hart go. Poor Joe Hart. Uh-huh. Um, See, I've, I've got no sympathy when it comes to like filling up your bench. If you look at Leipzig at the weekend, they had two goalkeepers on it. Just you know, well, Burnley had two goalkeepers too. Oh, re- really? <laughs> still a couple spare. Two goalkeepers and they still only had seven. Yeah, look, yeah. Sean Dyche said it wasn't about them not people not wanting to play due to contract negotiations. Yeah. but I mean, who are yeah, we I mean, to speculate? Well, I, I, I don't know. I, I would feel if I was a coach of a team that weren't going down, it's, it's a really good opportunity to make your point to your board of, oh yeah, we can't even fill the bench. Yeah. Help me out. Yeah, for sure. It's very, uh, very Mourinho. Yeah. Now we're talking. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, spe- I mean, so I suppose speaking of teams that aren't going down, we could take a dinky little segue into uh, Syria now, guys, if you're up for it. Let's do it. Yeah. Speaking about, because Bologna were up against Juventus, 2 0, they lost. I like the way you capitalise Bologna against. Juventus. <laughs> Very good. Neither well, of them will go down. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, this is the point, though. You know, Bologna, what, 10th now? They they don't have a lot, much like Burnley, we could argue. Are Bologna the sort of Italian Burnley? I really don't think Bologna so. Bologna have a lot more frightening manager in Sinisa Mihailovic, who I'm mm. not sure I want to say. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm done. More frightening I'm done for the Deutsch. season. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's a pay per view fight I'd like to see, though. Yeah. I think Mihailovic would edge it. But it would be edge it. Be, it'd be a, edge it. Be a clash of styles. I'm, fr- <laughs> I, I'm quite frightened of Sean Dyche, no? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think the voice makes him seem friendly. Yeah. 
Interesting. I, think, the, the, I, I don't know. The, the things he says in the voice are often friendly. He's, he's, he's quite a sort of you know forward-thinking liberal man, isn't yeah. he, Sean Dyche? But there's something of the bruiser about him, something, something of the car park bruiser. And I wonder if he could get a sucker punch in on Mihailovic, because Mihailovic would be all energy, wouldn't he? He'd be all wiry, mad energy. And he would try Dyche and nullify would soak it. up a lot of punishment <laughs> yeah. comfortably. Yeah. Of course he would. That's exactly right. So anyway, Bologna, the point about the comparison I was making was not to compare styles particularly between Bologna and Burnley. It was more about you know, they're sitting in a position where there's nothing particularly to play for. Mm. Juventus, okay, great. They won 2-0. Was that a good performance? How come they only won 2-0? I think it was a good performance given everything that had gone before, which is them having two games in the Coppa Italia, not scoring, not really looking like scoring. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo, not quite seething, but certainly not happy. And mm. when he goes two games without scoring, he would be unhappy, wouldn't he? But not happy about his position, his um, sister getting stuck in on, on, on Twitter and saying Juventus weren't giving him the right um, sort of uh, right environment to succeed. And then Gianluigi Buffon's wife counter acting to that and saying, well, you know what? I'm from the old school, she said. I think... Uh, wives and girlfriends and sisters and brothers and mums and dads should just keep their mouth shut and stay off social media. That's quite ironic. Where did she deliver that message? I think by carrier pigeon. (laughs) (laughs) But Ronaldo is a big play from Sarri, playing him in the same position. And I think the fact that they brought Federico Bernadeschi in definitely changed things because Bernadeschi was brilliant, set up Dybala's second goal with, with a great back heel and hit the post, played brilliantly throughout. But Dybala stayed in the centre and Ronaldo stayed on this nominally left-hand mm. side. And it's quite interesting because he obviously wasn't happy with it. And Sarri, who's been under a lot of pressure, mainly because of the quality of football, mainly because and because they didn't win the cup, because they haven't been streaking away at the top of the table, because people are wondering, I think especially with the way Bayern are playing, have Juventus really got a chance of winning the Champions League this this season? All these things. I would say no. And also, they're a goal down from the first leg, aren't mm. they? You know, they've, they've still got that, that second leg to play. They might not even make it to Lisbon. So I think it's a huge play for Sarri to come out and go, I hear your criticism, but I don't hear it. Yeah. And you know what? I'm going to... You know, not exactly go toe to toe with like the, possibly the most famous footballer in the world, but I'm I'm going to make him do what I want him mm. to do, not what he wants to do. And it's the second time it's happened this season because, of course, if you go back to the autumn, he was taking Ronaldo off, giving him a, a little break, which we know Ronaldo doesn't like. And in fairness to Ronaldo, he could have thrown Sarri under the bus at, at, at that point, but he said, you know what, the coach is right. I'm not fit enough at the moment. Um, I need to get there. And, you know, that was a huge win for Sarri. Mm. And Sarri's doing the same thing again when he's under enormous pressure. I mean, I don't know if you're Sarri, if you think, well, I'm, I'm not here for a long time. I'm here for a good time. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just going to wind do, up Cristiano. Do what I like. Yeah. When, but when will I get the chance to do this again? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't see him getting the Portugal job. No. We'll come to who's going to get that next in a bit. Yeah. But, um, it, it, is, it does feel a little bit like a music producer walking into a studio and going, Kanye. You're on triangle today, mate. <laughs> no, I'm not. You, are, you, you bloody are. 
<laughs> it's never going to end well, is it? Is it there, there was always going to be this sort of friction if you, if you sort of try he, and do that. He got a tune out of Ronaldo last night. He played really well. The, the front three played really well. Uh, Dybala was the outstanding one. I mean, I, I know you were talking about that, that goal earlier, Jim. Mm. Oh, a lovely sort of just like clumped finish. Do you know what I mean? Like a sort of almost like a golf clump. To see uh, him from, in the street, you, you wouldn't think he could kick it that far, would you? No. He's quite, he's, 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 he doesn't look like a footballer, really, does he? Dybala. What, what, do you, what, do you, what do you think he looks like? He's, he's quite short, isn't he? Isn't that but the beautiful thing about football is that anyone can play football, whatever they look like. No matter like, if you're a little mini Messi or a... Yeah, like Chris Waddle never looked like an athlete, did he? Yeah. No, true. But then he gets the ball and it's like, wow. wow. But what do you think Dybala looks like? A yacht billionaire, I'm saying. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> but like, he could be in succession. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, no, he's, he would be the sort of the, the Roman Roy style figure. Like a bit, <laughs> little, he looks like a playboy. That's what he looks like. He looks like a rich playboy, which I, he presumably is. Um, just living his life, having a lovely time, but not necessarily a footballer. But he is a footballer and a fantastic one, and I'm grateful for him. And I say his name weird sometimes. Sometimes I say Dibbler, and I don't know why. It just happens. Dribbler. Yeah, maybe it's that. Well, Italy have been having an, an enjoyable time with oh, Italian fans of Syria or general fans of Syria, just because um, there are a few nuggets available to you if you're watching the games with the crowd sound uh, not available because Antonio Conte, I think it's fair to say, has got some quite choice phrases that we won't go into. So <laughs> that's it for now. We're going to go to a break. All right, great to have you with us. A um, little bit of a mensch for League Two, paying homage to uh, the finalists in the League Two playoffs. So it was the semi-final second legs last night. Colchester went to Exeter 1-0 up on aggregate. Unfortunately, beaten their 3-1. So they, they went out 3-2 on aggregate. Uh, Exeter go through to the final. And Northampton beat Cheltenham 3-0, having been 2-0 down on aggregate. Yeah. Jim's got they, views on this. Yeah, well, they could, not, not just not only were they 2-0 down, they also missed a penalty at 0-0 in the first uh, in the first. First leg, so they've they've really really climbed up that travelator. Um, uh, to, to turn what a wonderfully nineties yeah. <laughs> allegory! It's, it was an amazing turnaround, and the the the, 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 the um the last goal you got you got a feel for Cheltenham because it was a little bit of a mix up between the defender and the goalkeeper, and it was um, they looked a bit shell shocked by it. But it it's really impressive turnaround from them. Well done, well done, Northampton. All right, so it's Exeter Northampton in the final uh, to see you go through to League One. Although it's quite interesting because Leagues One and Two have until this Friday to indicate their preference for when they'd be capable of resuming competitive football. And the question is, could they come back in August, October or after the new year? So it's possible that, you know, they'll be promoted and it'll still be up in the air when those games are going to be back on the road. Part of the kind of world we're playing in I guess at the moment. I mean it seems a bit of a stretch to imagine that they'll be able to get paying fans in by August doesn't it and the thing is League 1 and League 2 football doesn't make any sense without any fans because for the majority of clubs like not the whiners who can't believe they're in there and want to get out of there as quickly mm. as possible but um, no particular clubs from the North East <laughs> but I think is is. It's it's just ruinously expensive to put games on when you haven't haven't got any yeah. fans. It's it's really tough. So, to me, October seems a, a little bit more logical. I mean, it kicks the January can. though. You'd have thought no. 
Potentially, really? well, that that is a really long. Think there's that going to be fans in the in the stadiums by October. Well, bear in mind, Kate, that this week the French government announced that um, they can have um, sports with supporters of up to crowds of up to five thousand from July eleventh. And they canned that league. What on earth? Yeah. It's going to be one heck of a pre-season. That's for sure. Uh, So obviously some people are thinking in retrospect there that maybe they cut off the league a a little bit too early. As you say, I'm not sure that that's the case. But um, either way... It was hard because you didn't... It was very hard to know who was going to win it. No, exactly. But again, that's, it's sort of painted as a human interest thing, the way that France has, has played it. But actually, we know it's all about TV deals, wherever you are. And the fact is for France, starting next season is a lot more important than finishing this season because they've got a new TV deal that kicks in. And so they need that to start because it's a, it's a huge financial boost so that was that was their end game i would i would suggest interestingly when we're talking about tv deals there's a couple of interesting things we we should have said about serie a you can't actually watch it in france at the the moment because um being have obviously got this um dispute with saudi arabia which obviously newcastle united fans will be acutely aware of um because of that and because of serie a and la liga involvement with saudi arabia being who've got the rights to show Serie A and not showing it at the moment. There's a Serie A blackout. The other thing I wanted to mention is we've had the first post-pandemic TV deal because Germany announced yesterday that they've um, renewed their domestic TV deal. 4.4 billion over four years, which starts from next year, 2021. But interestingly, a 240 million euro cut overall Mm. on the last deal. Now, their line, the Bundesliga's line, is well, we've we've done okay out of it because we've almost maintained the status quo in what's a very uncertain market, and I think they're pretty pleased that they've got something. Nevertheless, it is a cut, and it'd be interesting to see how it maps out for other yeah. leagues, particularly the Premier League going forward when they next renew, because you know the, we've always seen each time with the Premier League deal, can it go up anymore? And it has yeah. every time. Or will that happen next time? Well, this sets a precedent, obviously, isn't it? Potentially. And I suppose one thing, it's, it is, it's an opportunity for a different league to try and get a sort of commercial foothold on the global dominance that the, the Premier League has on, on football audiences. But also, it, could it perhaps be a good thing for there to be, for there to be a bit less insane money coming into the, into, into the Premier League or all leagues? Purely because if you look at the inflated market, and we, we've heard many things about PSG deliberately mm. paying so much for name to 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 inflate things to the point where it put them on effectively in pole position for everything um that isn't sustainable and that isn't good for football so is it actually this potentially a good thing if if the market just calms down out of necessity you see there was i thinking oh maybe the saving will be passed on to the consumer <laughs> oh yeah oh, come on <laughs> <laughs> and friend of the ramble simon cooper would not agree with you on that would he he'd say it's good that there's plenty of uh Plenty of sugar daddies in football really? bringing all the money in. Yeah, it sounds like you didn't actually listen to our... Um... <laughs> this is bullshit. Let's, let's throw him out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's go to Spain, shall we, to avoid that awkward pause in <laughs> our relationship. Um, Zinedine Zidane said, it annoys me that people only talk about referees. And we hear you. Zinedine. It's easy to say that after, <laughs> after you've won away from home on a Sunday night at Real Sociedad after loads of raging VAR controversy. Mm. Yes. Let's talk about this raging VAR controversy, which actually, to be honest, started really with Barcelona 
the El Mundo Deportivo declaring that Barcelona were unhappy with the VAR. Now, that was on Sunday morning. And this game was later on Sunday, the game that you're mentioning, Real Sociedad. One, Real Madrid. Two, I don't know. I thought VAR did all, all right, Andy. <laughs> there were a few borderline calls, weren't they? Mm. Um, I, I think. I that... love a shoulder goal. Come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hasn't the rule changed that, you know, the shoulder is now separate from the arm? I, I know there was, there was perhaps in, in England, there was, there was definitely the definition of what constitutes handball was slightly tweaked. I don't know if it's the same in Spain, but yeah. it was... Uh, yeah, it looked. Um, it was a goal, wasn't it? Was it not? But it was definitely a goal. Well, goal uh, what, what made it difficult is, I, I guess, the time. Uh, two things: the timing of it, firstly, because Real Sociedad had just had an equaliser, equaliser ruled out by Adnan Yanisai. Brilliant shot from outside the box. Mm. But Mikel Merino, this is not just a section about former failed Premier League players, mm. by the way. Um, there was a judge to have been standing in front of Thibaut Courtois, and so that which he literally goal was. was. I mean, he literally out. was. It's about interfering I mean, with. It was, Sight lines. The thing is, whether he was actually interfering, I, I think is open to debate. But it was a textbook application of the rule as is. There's, yes. there's, yeah, yeah. there's no doubt about that. Even if it was disappointing because it was an amazing goal. And then the fact that Real Madrid went straight up the other end and Benzema scored this goal, which, as you say, Jim, I think was borderline whether it was handball or not. But what was really funny is after they'd given the goal, when Benzema was running back to the halfway line, he was pointing at his arm and he's like, if it actually hit... That part of your arm, it really is a handball. Yeah. No, he rolled his sleeve up though, didn't he? And kiss, kissed his little, had a little glancing. What is, um, is, are we talking about his lockdown biceps? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been working this out and now I'm scoring. It's like an extra limb. I'm, yeah, like, I'm, like, I'm like David Ginola, but I've got so much muscles, I can't actually get my top off. So that won't be... Uh, that Saves won't you the be yellow cards in celebration, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually probably Absolutely. quite an efficient way to play it. So I, I don't know if I like this rule. Um, the whole what VAR no, Mate, not, come not on. just VAR but the whole, the whole <laughs> some, effectively when a, when a brilliant goal is ruled out for any reason it's annoying isn't it right yes. I, I sort of I get, yes that's I a very get, good way of putting it I get the I get the, the kind of the, the situation of somebody obscuring the goalkeeper's view and how that needs to be dealt with but I think the referees should be able to use their discretion where it's like if the goal's good enough oh. well, I have to rule it out you can just have a penalty because like <laughs> you know then the keeper still gets a chance to save it but like that was wicked and you deserve recompense that's how I'd change it which is why I'm nowhere near these decisions but still yeah I like it I thought you were going to say that if the goal was good enough it just stands no matter what yeah I mean that, that in an ideal world that would be the case but then you wouldn't you wouldn't get those things like have you seen that clip of Kevin Keegan scoring an absolute worldie and then and it then being disallowed and it being hilarious because of Kevin Keegan like we would lose some <laughs> of that joy we'd lose some schadenfreude but, um, but all in all I think that'd be a good change I think the bottom line is here Kate that Barcelona are just a little bit paranoid at the moment do you hear uh, old Gerard Piquet being like oh it's going to be very difficult let's let's get some perspective here they're, they're t- on the same number of points same number of games with eight games just, left yeah with eight games remaining that's it's just head to head that's it's, the difference between says, the two clubs exactly it says something about the, the, the vibe at the club doesn't it because oh it's after, very difficult after, after the, yeah this was directly after the, the game they drew at Sevilla on Friday night um, nil-nil draw that I recommended you all watch last week thanks mm-hmm. Andy you're welcome you're absolutely welcome um, but right towards the end of that it was quite telling because of course Barcelona had more of the ball Sevilla probably had the best of the chances and then Barcelona get a corner in stoppage time and Marc-Andre Ter Stegen goes up for it 
Now, that to me is extraordinary in a situation where, by this point, of course, Real Madrid haven't won at Real Sociedad, which is a difficult game. So Barcelona are still going three points in front at the top of the league. And they decide to send to Stegen up for a corner with eight games left when they're getting a point at Sevilla, which is a good mm. result because Sevilla are really, really good at home and had had a lot of chances in, in that game. But we've always, on the ramble, we've always got time for a bit of goalkeeper up into the yeah. penalty area, surely. I want my goalkeeper to be taller than that if he's going to go up for a corner. <laughs> right. So you'd maybe sub... Substitute got, him and then put someone else on. Don't you think Tushtegan's got that sort of posh Shay Given vibe to him? <laughs> Maybe. What if you were to have someone else, but another couple of players, like giving him a little bit of a boost? It might limit you though if you've got all of your three guys all together. Well, in, Bar- in a Barcelona sense, that nullifies the advantage. Only isn't if it? they see it coming, which I would assume they wouldn't. Well, we talked about Barcelona shorties, didn't we? I mean, yes. you know, I, I suppose that's the thing. I, you're not really losing anything if Suarez gives him a bunk up, are you? Exactly. And may, maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's why Tostegan went up. Because comparatively, he's a giant in that dressing room. <laughs> giant among men. Um, and this gives us a chance then to look ahead to Barcelona's next game, which is tonight, kickoff at nine o'clock. UK time up against Athletic Bilbao so they're yeah. they're sketchy they're nervous what's going to happen Andy well talking of sketchy and nervous it's not escaped anyone's notice that the referee tonight is uh, Gil Manzano who is the referee who they complained about when they played Real Sociedad back in in uh, December so obviously the big headline in Spain has been, oh, they come face to face with uh, Gil Manzano again. Because, uh, in fact, G- Gerard Piquet complained about him as well. And uh, as, as we you, you pointed out before, Kate, he's not on edge at all at the moment. Not on edge. Mm. So he must be, be probably fine. quite worried about that tennis tournament that he runs. Piquet, he's in charge of a tennis tournament, Labour Cup. So oh, really? he's probably concerned about the administrative uh, elements of his job, perhaps. Maybe yeah, he's not well, keeping his head in the game. Yeah, well, apparently it's super easy to organise. I mean, Novak Djokovic has been on it and ah. he's uh, not held back by any rules or protocols. While, no, sir. While he has not been wiping down the tennis balls. <laughs> but, but, you know, Athletic are, I think, a, a bit of a portent of doom anyway, not just because they're such a perennially big name in Spanish football, but because they got the, fo- the first coach post-hiatus sacked this weekend because they beat Betis 1-0 and Ruby sacked straight afterwards and replaced by Trujillo. So um, beware, Kike Setien. <laughs> Is that a real tip, Andy Vassal? No, I'm just trying to feed their paranoia. That's all <laughs> I'm doing. PK, if you're listening, well, hi, for starters. <laughs> <laughs> I feel as though Zinedine Zidane wouldn't have enjoyed that segment that was almost exclusively on uh, referees. Yeah. So perhaps we could have a little a little mention of the um, Gonzalo Geres goal in the Valencia game. 2-0 mm. against Osasuna. Yeah. Lovely bit of work. He had a little little go around the houses, didn't he? Oh, wow. like, oh you know, I'm gonna I'm going to have a little tour of every defender here. I like, I, I like the way he fell over and got up mm. midway through oh. it. It was like seeing someone play pool brilliantly after six pints, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, but like stop halfway through to do a push-up and then take a <laughs> shot. <laughs> really showing off. I think that only happens in Essex, Jim, to be fair. Yeah. I've, I've actually seen that happen. Guy I went to school with, I saw him in a bar. He was doing push-ups and putting cigarettes out on his arm. It was very unpleasant. Very, very unpleasant. While playing pool or that was just incidental? No, but I felt like he might have done that. It was the sort of day where he'd have done that. Yeah, it was... Yeah, let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) 
Hi, Bill, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. But do look up, look up that goal if you haven't seen it. It's absolutely amazing. Because it looks incredibly incompetent for a moment. And then he's back up and he's like through another yeah. three defenders. And you can't, you can't believe your eyes. Um, other football that's coming up tonight. Leicester, Brighton and, of course, the mighty Spurs against West Ham. Um... Leicester, what have we made of them so far? I mean, because we've got form now to talk about. I kept yeah. saying there's no such thing as form, and now there's form. Manchester City are in good form since the lockdown. They are. There's form. Yeah, Leicester, they will be annoyed about that Watford game, presumably still, but I guess it's a good chance to just, just put that right, really. That's the thing with this weird new schedule, isn't it? Like, you can actually arrest form quite quickly, and I wonder if we'll, if we'll see that. Um, but, you know, Brighton obviously got a good win against um, Strugglers Arsenal, so mm. they'll, they'll be probably quite confident as well. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how that one's going to go. I, I, I feel like Leicester—they certainly had started to kind of wobble a little bit, hadn't they? Before before the lockdown, in terms mm. of their sort of relentless charge for for um, for the top four. But um, I reckon I reckon they can get something here. Jamie Vardy, if he scores, it'll be his hundredth goal in the Premier League, and he's of course the Premier League top scorer at the moment. Yeah, I guess Kate. The real question is when Spurs play West Ham tonight. Yes. How many subs will Jose Mourinho have on give have on the bench, given that his maths is <laughs> questionable at best? What do you reckon? Seventeen subs. Yeah, yeah. Although, frankly, he doesn't bloody use them, does he? Because <laughs> Harry Kane, who could barely walk after about ten minutes, was on for the full ninety. It's like um, it's like a block. Like we can't substitute. We've got Harry Kane. We can't substitute him. I don't get it. Here, he's, 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 he's not. He's not. He's not going to get fitter by not playing, is he? Sorry, Tottenham are trying to win games, Andy. It's not just a... I accept that, but it's, I think. It's, it's Harry Kane's thing, isn't it? And it was always his thing that he was allowed to do with his special relationship with Pochettino, mm. uh, play himself through injury, play himself back into form. I think it's quite, it must be quite reassuring for Spurs fans knowing that he's allowed to continue to do that under Mourinho. Hmm. But I don't uh, agree with you. Yeah, is it? Is it I mean, one of the, <laughs> being the other striker at Spurs is a really sort of lonely position, isn't it? Right? And is, does this add to that? Do you think? Well, that he's never allowed to come yeah, off. Exactly. You can be as good as you like, mate. But you, I mean, yeah, or just move. You know, Son hadn't played for a bit as well. No one's played for a bit, obviously. Son had been injured. <laughs> <laughs> As well, you know, why not change your formation? Just get, get assessing your not anyway. Mm. Or just fold the club. Why not just fold the club? No, <laughs> fuck off. You know, like, that's what I'd do in their shoes. How did your first show with Jim go, Kate? Well, <laughs> I think it went fine, to be honest. So talk, talking well, very again friendly. of our, talking again of our celebrity listeners, Kate. I mm. bet Jose's sitting there at home thinking, oh, I've got off lightly. I've got off lightly, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's still too busy respecting Paul Merson, isn't he, to be listening to things? This, this was out. This was incredible. This whole, the whole, so the strikers thing. Because when you're talking about his bad maths, obviously you're referring to his uh, his four minute prepared statement about. Paul Merson saying that Harry Kane will assess his options at the end of the season. Him saying because I respect Paul Merson so much, I'm just gonna just gonna talk about you know various things. And he said, what was it? He said that Didier Drogba averaged, averaged something like 47 goals a season. He scored him. 186 goals in four goals. seasons with him. It's just which he was only like 110 out. Like Tottenham, <laughs> Tottenham, Tottenham sent an email out pretty quickly to say uh, Jose was reading off the wrong column. I'm not sure it was a kind of, <laughs> I'm not sure it was a kind of fake news attempt, but it was not sort of Trump-esque attempt to just say there were a lot of people at the rally. Like I yeah. think it was a genuine, because it's just. It's just a. Do we expect to see him with reading specs at, at the next? I think he could pull that off. Him. This all started when he fell That's over that rope. 
when he was Man United. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He's become this strange sort of like bungling figure since then. I don't know when he made this transition, but I prefer this one. I think. You know what? I think... I know we don't often talk about training gear on, on, on this show, but I think that the purple training top, which makes him look sort of young and vibrant in a way, has covered mm. a multitude of sins so far. Do you mean physical specimen sins? <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't an area I was thinking of mining, Kate. But um, um, Please, carry on. <laughs> what do you mean then, Andy? You think he looks... More but are you saying he, yeah, looks, he looks more buff he looks, than he is? He looks he looks new Mourinho. I think it's because about of the saying, purple colour. I've changed. You know, I'm I'm here at Spurs mm. and I'm ready to do things differently. I've not got the band back together. I've got a new coaching team. I've got new ideas. Yeah. Um, but it's the same old nonsense that I'm reading off a piece of paper. Yeah, it's a tracksuit manager, isn't it? Effectively, because he was always the stylish. You know, very very well turned out. Had mm. you know his own sponsorship deals kind of guy, which obviously he still has. But like, it's for, everything Mourinho does is is calculated and deliberate, yes. isn't it? So the the tracksuit would definitely be a even reading the wrong line. Bad. Yeah. To oh. give Didier Drogba 110 more career goals. Just wants Drogba to be pleased and grateful. And which is fair. Yeah. Who I think we all want Drogba to be happy at all times. Do, do you reckon he's, he's re-signing him as backup to Harry Kane? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I mean, I would, given that he wouldn't play, it doesn't really matter. Does <laughs> Just a sarcastic dig at Paul Merson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's enjoyable. All right, yeah. But uh, for Tottenham, they've got everyone... Everyone fit again, pretty much apart from Foyth and Tanganga, which is every you know everybody who can score goals is supposedly available. So that's a pretty unusual look for Spurs at the moment. Are we predicting a glorious London derby victory for the yeah, mighty Spurs? I think this will this will be a Spurs win. Obviously, I think what is it two wins in eleven for West Ham under David Moyes? And they look ghastly. Yeah, they they, they look really really bad. I mean, it's it's funny because. I remember reading, um, I think I might have mentioned this last week, but um, Michael Cox wrote something very convincing on The Athletic saying how the bottom third of the Premier League was the best bottom third of the Premier League that it's been in a long time. I don't know if that actually holds up post-shutdown, actually, because I'm beginning to look at the bottom five or six and think, you're all terrible. You know, if you go back over the last few years in the Premier League, and maybe that's why this year is different, as you look at like the bottom six, seven, eight, and you think, if they had a year where they relegated eight teams, would anyone miss any of them? <laughs> yeah. And I've, I've felt that for a long time. You know, you have these teams like um, Sunderland and Villa who were just... Two Sunderland of... digs, you're brave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> who were just edging their way to relegation for yeah. a really long time. It's sort of what Werder Bremen are doing yeah. in, in, in Germany well, at the moment. Coventry did for about 30 years. Yeah, for example, Southampton. They did yeah. that, didn't they, for a while. Um, there were a lot of teams like that, and and maybe that's changed this season. I think post-lockdown, you look at like the bottom six and you think, yeah, they're all dreadful. Yeah, I think uh, perhaps maybe not quite with Watford and Brighton, but with West Ham, Bournemouth, Villa and Norwich, you feel like, you know, West Ham are only out of the relegation zone on goal difference. Mm. But you... You look below them and Bournemouth have got Wolves next. You think, well, they probably just won't win that. So mm. West Ham might be... Someone's going to survive because there are three other teams that are terrible. Succession you know I mean? of bold men fighting over a comb. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. And it's, yeah. I, I, I don't know if I would agree with Michael Cox. I mean, what, what does he bloody know? Yeah, no, um, I mean, of course, the Hammers have a lot to hold on to, having been the first away team to win at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So it would be their second consecutive Tottenham Hotspur Stadium win. 
I imagine David Moyes will get a lot of uh, solace from that. They would love that. I was going to say, I thought you were going to say credit for. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to say no, probably not actually. West Ham do love being a thorn in the side of teams they hate. And they're particularly good at it as well and they Mm. they raise themselves for it. So, I don't know, you never know, maybe they will get something because Spurs looked a little bit leggy against Man United, didn't they? But but of course they would have done because, you know, everyone looks like that at the moment. So, uh, I suppose um, panic stations might be, be uh, you know, manned for, for West Ham to try and really raise themselves but I just, I just don't know they're good enough to beat Tottenham Alright so we've got form but we're still not quite convinced that it means anything Yeah I think so In summary Alright yeah. Well I think that's a good moment to end on Oh we also want to give a big welcome back to coaching to Neil Warnock Yeah Who has I don't know sadly depending on who you are taken Jonathan Woodgate's job at Middlesbrough today So yeah Welcome back Neil yeah, he just like he's just constantly in orbit, isn't he? Like a big Warnocky moon. He's never far away. <laughs> Love it. And neither are we. Say goodbye, Andy Russell. Bye-bye. Say goodbye, Jim Campbell. Goodbye. And I've been Kate Mason. Thank you so much for listening to us today. Don't forget to catch Jules, Luke and Bish who are on the Football Ramble tomorrow. And we'll see you next time. This was a Stakhanov production.